0: Welcome to The Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker.
1: What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another episode of The Shark Pod. We've got Mark Baker out there in Glenangiri. Mark Baker, how are you doing? i'm doing great luke how are you i'm good i'm good we're in Graystones. the weather is getting a little bit uh, chilly for the beginning of may i don't understand what's happening there but we're happy uh, that the summer is coming up and all that good stuff today we are doing something that we haven't done in a little while we're going to do a breakdown of some advice about how to get rich um and we thought it might be good for the old clicks as well mark what do you think <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I think we had good feedback from the last couple of, uh, what would you call them, commentary uh, podcasts with Matthew McConaughey. Who's the other one? Oh, yeah, Arnie. Yeah, Arnie Swartz and
1: I, we did that as well. Matthew McConaughey. So we're going to do Naval Ravikant today. And uh, he is probably not going to look as good shirtless as uh, Matthew McConaughey. That's the only thing for those. Or Arnie. Or Arnie, for that matter. So we're taking it down, maybe taking it down a, a notch in the body uh, department, but definitely kicking it up in the, in the mind, for sure. Um, so yeah, so we're going to do that, which is going to be great. But how have you been getting on the last couple of weeks anyway? Um, how's business? How's, how's life? Good. It's been
0: Business has been good. I think it's good all around, well, unless you're in the sectors that have been directly affected by COVID and travel and hospitality and stuff. But we, once the vaccine, to be honest, once the vaccine was announced... You know what was a Q4 last year or whatever. Um, it's actually people have been when it comes to recruitment and moving jobs and so people haven't. They've been okay with with you know moving jobs, not afraid to kind of leave their current job or you know the the job market is is has picked up hugely. So it's actually pretty like apart from the certain sectors, it's similar to to pre COVID times at the moment. So. Light at the end of the tunnel
1: I feel like there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel Because this is th- this week marks our first week Or our a year anniversary From our post-COVID uh, business cast That we did God. last year That was a whole year ago Where we came up with, I think We came up with 20 ideas or something It was over two hours we got, we, we got a lot of flack from uh, the length of that, Mark <laughs> is From some of the listeners
0: it was <laughs> I was just laughing rivers. that we implement, we didn't implement any But maybe somebody did out there So uh, yeah, feel, feel free to let us know
1: Absolutely, because there was some guys that were unemployed and awfully that reached out to me, um, and they said that they were going to do some of the uh, one or two of the ideas that we had come up with. Um, so I haven't heard of them since. Maybe they're rich now and they're too good for me. Uh, so maybe <laughs> that's the, the problem. Um, but like I said, like the yeah, the vaccine is going to be interesting. Like I think I can't wait for things to you know get back and all that good stuff. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and uh, the scientist was saying the vaccines won't isn't won't solve the problem here you know, there's, you know, it's going to be all these variants and, you know, this is something that everyone's acting like this is the end. I'm like, we need to lock that guy up. Don't let him yeah. talk anymore. It's a, His time is over. That's why he's trying to be on the radio more.
0: Yeah, yeah. lockdowns will have a different meaning. Certain people yeah. who are, you know, talking rubbish. Anti-revolution, be the one in out. I like it. Okay, cool. So,
1: to introduce our virtual guest, uh, Naval Ravikant, um, he is a an investor from Silicon Valley. Uh, he was born in India. Um, he is kind of he kind of styles, I don't know if he styles himself, but he comes across as kind of like a guru, a deep thinker, uh, um, someone who uh, has made a success out of his uh, career in Silicon Valley without being uh, one of the ones that is, is on everyone's mind. You know, the Jeff Bezos, I know he was from Seattle, but you know, all of the, uh, the big hitters out of Silicon Valley. Um, yeah. He wouldn't be on those types of lists, but he's an investor in stuff like uh, Uber, Twitter, stuff like that. Um, he also started a company called AngelList, um, which AngelList, it, it seems like the simplest uh, uh, plan in the world. He, Him and his friend had started a blog about how uh, Silicon Valley worked and how um, how to raise funds and stuff like that. And a lot of uh, people with good ideas were contacting them and a lot of angel investors were contacting them saying, can you put us in touch with people with good ideas? So they came, came up with AngelList.co, um, which is a place where people with good ideas can go meet people with money, um, and then they get a a middleman fee or something like that. I don't, I, I googled the uh, their business model. I couldn't actually figure it out exactly what mm-hmm. it is, but I'd imagine it's some sort of commission or some sort of they get a deal brokerage fee something like that. Um, he's been on Tim Ferriss's podcast multiple times. He's been on uh, Joe Rogan actually had him on uh really? some stage. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. So he's uh, he's big on Twitter um the, the, the thing what we're going to do today is we're going to break down his uh his guide to how to get rich i would i would recommend this to any kind of uh any per- person starting out into a career or kind of somebody who's mid-career who isn't rich yet um mm. <laughs> once you go through this three hour i think it's a three and a half hour uh, podcast based mm. on a tweet storm that he did about all the rules about getting rich um using all of the uh all the experience that he has working with uh investors working with um, startup uh, founders and stuff like that. So he has a lot of experience and what he's done is we he did a podcast based on that uh, based on that um, tweet storm um, and we've got it kind of chopped up here with our favorite rules um, and that's kind of it. We're going to go through that. What do you think,
0: Mark? Yeah, I think I actually don't know for full disclosure. I don't know much about him and yeah. I probably know a lot more since you just told me but I have listened to all the clips. I think it's good for anyone who as you said, who's kind of early on in their career and also somebody who is kind of maybe been working hard, putting all the effort in thinking they've been doing the right things and it hasn't been paying off for one reason or another. Um, it might be the definition of insanity to keep doing what they're doing. So to think outside the box by listening to this, it's almost like a few secrets that don't see it out there, but like not secrets, but maybe some things that people haven't thought of, um, that might completely change the way their their course of action.
1: Especially there's a few things in here where they it's not really it's definitely not taught at schools when they're talking about the, the career design and what you're going to do with your life. Um no there's it's like there's no one to step in when you're getting your career going as a coach and say stop doing that. Mm. That's what you you need to, that would be amazing. Say if you were you know if if it was like me where I had no fit uh, for working in uh, an investment bank if someone was there at, from the first week and say you know i could do be a sound or they could be a sounding board for me and i could go tell them what it's like and they would be like well don't do that because there's no leverage mm-hmm. don't do that but that
0: is for a lot of people though that's the problem so that that personal coach it's almost like a personal coach but who can afford a pers- personal coach when they're on you know 30 grand a year yeah. but it's almost you need someone to know you to be able to tell you this isn't for you and you know it yeah well i'm also telling you, so you know yeah. there's two people so yeah <laughs> go to canada
1: yeah exactly and that's what i did um and i was poor there when i first arrived but then uh we clawed my way out of there um <laughs> so, but anyway so yeah i think that's important as well um and we're like then it's going to get a lot of clicks and a lot of downloads because how to get rich is always uh an interesting thing but what so i mean you're a rich man in so many ways beautiful family your own business all that type of stuff but like what's what's rich to you is it is just being able to do whatever you want. What's uh what would you say, yeah, I'm rich now? Um
0: I would, uh, that's a that's a good question. I think to be able to get up every day and actually look forward to what you're doing okay. day to day. Um obviously to be surrounded with, you know, healthy family and all that is, is number one, um and, and safety and all that. But yeah, to get up every morning and not actually dread getting going to work. I think uh, it is a huge thing, but also day to day, but also long term to have something to look forward to. So you might be in a job that you kind of like it day to day, but in the back of your head, you don't know where you're going to be in, in five to ten years, and probably you're probably going to be in the same position. So it's actually knowing that my potential as a in a career or you know business is actually it, there's, there's no there's no uh, cap on it. Do you know what I mean? There's no roof. So that. That makes me happy to know that the sky's a limit. Okay, but there are there is certain things you can do, and the sky is certainly not the limit. You know, so for me, it's it's that kind of anything is possible type of thing. Um, if it happens, it doesn't matter, but it, it's possible. Okay, so does that makes sense.
1: Hope no, it does make sense for sure. Um, for me, it's more like over the last couple of years, I've been making as much or more from investments, basically. So like, uh, either that's owning a property, selling it um owning stocks and stuff like that. And I see that that the money that you make from that isn't it's not fair. And I think I like mm. to be in a, a position where I get uh wealthier in a, in a asymmetrical uh relationship to how much effort I put in. Do you know? I think that's yeah. much. I think if you're making more money than like I over the last year I've made far more money in uh, investments and stuff like that than I did working in Davy every day you know completely uh, completely uh, passive is the wrong word because you have to work to get those assets it, you know so it's not really passive mm. income but it is something that it, it just means that if I ever needed money I can liquidate those uh, assets and I can just get whatever I need you know I think that's richness so when you're when, when it's kind of like the, the, the rich dad poor dad quadrant, if you're getting money from investments or your investments are becoming more valuable and you didn't put any mm-hmm. hours into that, I think that's kind of where it starts to tip over and if you're making more money from investments than from wages, I think that's rich.
0: Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah, revenue generating assets is essentially what, what people need. Yeah. <laughs> or at least assets. You know, whatever you're working, you're, you're, you're co- it's compounding in, in an asset, if that makes sense, as opposed to a real trying Transactional, right? There's I've earned three grand this month, yeah. down to zero. Three grand next month, <laughs> yeah. down to zero. Yeah. You know,
1: and uh, also uh, maybe to avoid um, depreciating assets as well. That's why, like, I, I you know the fancy cars
0: depreciating assets, depreciating yeah,
2: yeah. assets. So like, don't buy those. Yeah, that's what I was thinking.
0: Like, yeah, the, obviously the, the the car is is the big one, isn't it? Like, the, yeah, I often think people that. just can't get past that. They just
1: it's like, and if if you want to spend your money on a car, that, that's fine. But if you're talking about, you know, I don't know. I often say to you, when I see some
0: really nice cars what going around
1: Greystones. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, how much do they have to earn a year to buy that?
0: They, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I good, think this the, 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 human nature for some reason is when you do earn more money, you know, or, or grow your assets, you want to live to those means. So you want you need now, now need a bigger car. And yeah. your your cash flow is is still as tight as it was when you were actually had less money. Does that makes sense? So we always want the bigger thing, and I think he actually talks about that. So I won't jump ahead.
1: Yeah, you're going step on a, a yeah. uh, toes here. And um, let's yeah. bang into the first one here because we are we could we could talk about our philosophical philosophical uh, philosophical philosophical even um, kind of a <laughs> take on, on being rich. But um, let's have a listen to see what he says about some of these rules here. So the first one is that there is no business called, or there is no business like show business. No, he doesn't say that. Um, there's no skill, uh, you know, actual skill called business. So it's funny because, you know, a lot of people out there doing BCOMs, uh, Bachelor of Commerce and stuff like that. Um, then they mm. come out and they're like, how come I'm not starting, on 40 grand, I've got a degree, but you've got no skill, do you know? Yeah. So let's have a listen to see what he has to say about that.
2: Business to me is bottom of the barrel. There's no actual skill called business. It's too generic of a thing. It's like a skill called relating, like relating to humans. That's not a skill. It's too broad. So a lot of what goes on in business schools, and there's some very intelligent stuff taught in business schools, I don't mean to detract from them completely. But some of the stuff that's taught in business school is essentially just anecdotes, they call it case studies, but it's just anecdotes. And they're trying to help you pattern match by throwing lots of data points at you, but the reality is you will never understand them fully until you're actually in that position yourself even then you will find that basic concepts from game theory and psychology and ethics and mathematics and computers and logic will serve you much, much better. So I would focus on the foundations. I would focus with a science bent. I would develop a love for reading, including by reading so-called junk food that you're not supposed to read. You don't have to read the classics. That is the foundation for your self-education. What did you mean when you said that doing is faster than watching? When it comes to your learning curve, if you want to optimize your learning curve, one of the reasons why I don't love podcasts, even though I'm a generator of podcasts, is that I like to consume my information very quickly. And now I'm a good reader, a fast reader, and I can read very fast, but I can only listen at a certain speed. I know people listen to 2x, 3x, but everyone sounds like a chipmunk. And it's hard to go back. It's hard to highlight. It's hard to pinpoint snippets and save them in your notebook and so on. Similarly, a lot of people think they can become really skilled at something by watching others do it or even by reading about others doing it. And going back to business school case studies. that's a classic example. You know, they study other people's businesses, but in reality, you're going to learn a lot more about running a business by operating your own lemonade stand or equivalent, or even opening a little retail store down the street. That is how you're going to learn on the job, because a lot of the subtleties don't express themselves until you're actually running the business. For example... Everyone's now into mental models these days, right? You go to Farnham Street, you go to poor Charlie's Almanac, and you can learn all the different mental models, but which ones matter more? Which ones do you apply more often? Which ones matter in which circumstances? That's actually the hard part. For example, my personal learning has been that the principal agent problem drives so much in this world. It's an incentives problem. You know, I've learned that tit for tat, iterated prisoner's dilemma is the piece of game theory that is worth knowing the most. You can literally almost put down the game theory book after that. By the way, the best way to learn game theory is to play lots of games. I never even read game theory books. I consider myself extremely good at game theory. I've never opened up a game theory book and found a result in there where I was like, oh, yeah, that's common sense to me, because the reason is I just grew up playing all kinds of games and I ran into all kinds of corner cases with all kinds of friends, and so it's just second nature to me. So you can always learn better by doing on the job.
1: What do you think, Mark? That's what, number one. Business isn't really a skill to be learned. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's it's too broad of a term. It's a, way too broad. Commerce is another word for business, but commerce is actually probably less broad in that, like e-commerce is quite specific. Buying, if and you're selling, kind of, yeah, yeah. It, but business could be anything. When people, what do people say when someone knows that a, a somebody is kind of well off but they don't really know what their job is and they know they own business they're a businessman
1: yeah exactly <laughs> they don't
0: want to think of actually what do they do they'll just it's a cover all.
1: this this one really like maybe this wasn't the the, the most um, you know striking one or you know insightful one for, for a lot of people that are listening about you know we're going to go into some kind of deeper concepts in a minute but I thought it was really interesting because um, doing is faster than watching is such an interesting concept because like right now, I'm actually doing a, a Harvard Business School um, course online, right? And it feels it feels like it's important, just like, in a way like they've got really good materials. We're going through these case studies, you know, where you know commenting on, oh, what what should the what should that manager do here? Or the leader has this problem, and you know, we're sitting around doing this. And I, I remember, like, if you're a bright person, you like doing that type of stuff because it makes you feel smart. Mm. Um, but the stakes mm. are low, so there's no learning. If there's no, like we talked about this before. If there's no stakes, nothing happens, right? There's mm-hmm. no, there's no skin in the game. There's no, uh, like the, the learning curve is, is a lot, uh, a lot slower. Um, and in like in business, I did a business degree, an entrepreneurship degree, uh, for four years, and yeah. almost none of those people became entrepreneurs, even though they knew everything about how to, like we, it was such a good course. Like they taught us actually how to start businesses, work with Enterprise Ireland, like really. Like they did their best, like. But mm. it, it, if you started a lemonade stand or a garbage removal company for four years, you'd have a masters in business
0: in yeah. the four years. Did they teach you how to manage your your views on risk? You know uh, how you how you deal with personal risk and the risk of starting a business failing. Did they teach you resilience? Not really, you can't teach probably. that. No, not stand out. The two biggest things to think about, really.
1: It's 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 a, something to think about. So when people are, so I think the takeaway here is would be one, have skin in the game. So make sure that if you're going to be learning something, it's going to be a a, a verb. You're going to be doing something, right? So yeah, if you want to learn, um, say you know with your art, if you wanted to learn about <laughs> owning an art gallery, we had a great. Chat with uh, Owen O'Connor the other day, but it doesn't mean that you know how to, mm, uh, you know, exactly know as much as he does as about owning and running a, a an art gallery. And you probably have a good go at it because you've been in the industry for a long time, but there, would be, I bet there'd be stuff there that you, you know you wouldn't get straight off the bat and you couldn't really read about, you know.
0: Yeah, and that was a long form conversation as well, which you can actually learn quite a lot from. Yeah, the first two things I thought of when after listening to that clip was. Uh, so you learn more by doing than watching i just thought of youtube straight away and i don't know why i do this probably because i you know i'm 35 now and i've experienced certain things when i'm trying to learn something on youtube um i stop the video and i tried i try to do it before i even finish what he's going to say or they're going to say do i don't know if do you do that like when you kind of i get the the gist of it and I go off and I'll try it first and I'll kind of break things as I go and then I'll figure it out. And I find that I learn way better that way as opposed to re- re- watching a 10 minute video than starting. Yeah. I always start like two minutes in. Do you that? I do that as well. And I do it. I mm. just thought it was me being impatient, but I, I did a, a Salesforce uh, that course. That as well.
1: <laughs> where we like to be a, um, a Salesforce administrator. And I was doing the, the Udemy course of that, um, which is hilarious. If anyone wants to just get a job for 50 grand a year, or 60 grand a year, do a, uh, a three-hour Udemy course and you can be a Salesforce administrator. <laughs> Skip the four-year <laughs> degree. So, so mm-hmm. hilarious. The internet, the great equalizer, you know? Yeah. But my, my point was, like, I was, I would stop and then I'd go off for like a half an hour tinkering uh, mm-hmm. with the software and then I'd come back and, I'd, you know, but I, I'm the same as well. So, it, I think people, uh, they they do misunderstand uh, learning because it's not anyone's fault I don't think because you know when you're in school or in college you sit there, you watch the person who knows what they're talking about you take really bad notes that don't make any sense a couple Mm. days later um, and then you cram for the exam that's what we've been taught learning is it's not uh, like my my friend's a secondary school teacher they said that the uh, people are crying out for apprentices right now and they have to go into the schools and try to get people to be apprentices, imagine like going into like a fourth uh, fourth year student and saying, I can make you skilled at building houses. Do you know how many people, do you know how much people pay for houses? Mm. Or you can go to college and that's what people want to do. They go get a degree in business and they're starting from scratch four years later. This guy could do a business degree at night and be a, a builder yeah. or a uh, electrician, start hiring electricians, get contracts for all these different... Um, you know uh, apartment buildings for maintenance contracts, you could really, but
0: mm. uh, well, people have been do do that, and they have been doing that for years, particularly when we were in school. And they've uh, most of them have done really well, you know,
1: exactly. But this is my uh, my point was my um, my friend was saying that he couldn't get the kids to go to it, sure. mm. like he couldn't, like they were had no interest, and he's like, This is that's actually how you make you're gonna do well
0: if you have, yeah, you know, yeah. Sorry, and then the other thing I was thinking of was because of, of what I do I see people who who go off and do extra courses and I, don't, I don't mean courses I mean PhDs MBAs yeah. uh, you know higher diplomas masters and while they're doing that there's somebody else or let's say them version two you know and, and who have gone on and, and continued to work for for two years or whatever and I know who's gonna win at, the, at interview stage it's it's the person that just continued to work <laughs> and has more hands-on experience than someone so, I say, like, unless it's directly going to affect your career or else you really want to do it just yeah. for because people like learning and learning new things and stuff, but don't expect to get more money.
1: That's a hard one to take, especially for
0: the MBA stuff. Because, yeah, and I know. I'm sorry. And just to say, like, the kind of masters, kind of the degree, masters, yeah, that's that's going to stand to you. Like, and then and then you move into the workforce, that's that makes complete sense, you know, or there you become a, a chartered accountant or whatever it may yeah. be. But it's, it's that kind of further into your career stuff um which is all tougher to do bigger leap to do like you, you some people have families and they're doing it you know um it's something to think about you know
1: I, I sometimes I when I think about the PhD thing um because I even thought about doing a PhD because I was coming out of college and there was no jobs at the time and I was like you know I could do be a lecturer and stuff like that like the amount of hoops they have to jump through to become you know a success in academia or mm. you know <laughs> like if you' got a a PhD in uh, in psychology that might help you be a better salesperson, but it probably won't. Joe, you know? mm. if you went door to door for a week selling um, Aircom, <coughs> excuse me Aircom phone watch, you'd be a better salesperson than a. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it's it has got to be as in something that's a, a sellable skill, and it doesn't have to be. So sometimes with the MBA thing, I think okay, most of the people that do an MBA um, are either stuck in their career. And they say, "I'll do this," and then, then they'll like me. I'll do this. Oh, then, Mm. then oh, they'll open all the doors for me. That's actually not the case. Those Mm. that type of person is not going to get the doors open to them. No,
0: I have seen people do very well after doing MBAs. I I really have. But I personally, I think those kind of people, those people would have done well anyway. That's what what I'm trying to say. So I think it's
1: it's not really the. I think unless you're going there to, I think a lot of people do the sixty thousand euro MBAs. Because uh, they'll meet people who have put sixty yeah. grand into the pot to to be there, and they're gonna start businesses together. They're going to you know, like. Mm. From a network I have point to your, say, somebody
0: did. I don't know if it was on this podcast. Definitely, a couple of people have said it to me that that was the biggest thing that came out of uh, that MBA was the was the connections.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that may be the that may be the case as well. So, but if you're doing an MBA at like IBAT College or whatever, I'm not hang, having a go at. At them i'm just saying if it's not kind of a brand name um you know one of the big ones on the financial times list of mbas i don't think you should Mm. i don't think it's worth that much money but anyway that's my opinion Mm. um the next Mm. one we have is learn to sell learn to build love this one take it away take it away naval
3: combining skills you said that you should learn to sell
2: learn to build if you can do both you will be unstoppable You know, this is a very broad category now, but it's two broad categories. One is building the product, which is hard and it's a multivariate that can include design, that can include development, that can include manufacturing, logistics, procurement. It could even be designing and operating a service. It has many, many definitions, but in every industry, there is a definition of the builder. In our tech industry, that's the CTO, it's the programmer, it's the software engineer, hardware engineer. But you know, even in like a laundry business, it could be the person who's building the laundry service, who is making the trains run on time, who's making sure all the clothes end up in the right place at the right time and so on. Then the other side of it is the sales side. Again, selling has a very broad definition. Selling doesn't necessarily just mean selling individual customers, but it could mean marketing, it could mean communicating, it could mean recruiting, it could mean raising money, it could mean inspiring people, it could mean doing PR. So it's a broad umbrella category. So generally, the Silicon Valley startup model tends to work best, it's not the only way, but it is probably the most common way, when you have two founders, one of whom is world class at sales, and one of whom is world class at building. An example is of course Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak with Apple, Gates and Allen probably had similar responsibility early on with Microsoft. Larry and Sergey, you know, probably broke down along those lines, although it's, it's a little different there because that was a very technical product delivered to end users through a simple interface. But generally, you will see this pattern repeated over and over. There's a builder and there's a seller. There's a CEO and CTO combo. And venture and technology investors are almost trained to look for this combo whenever possible. It's sort of the magic combination. The ultimate is when one individual can do both that's when you get true superpowers. That's when you get people who can create entire industries. The living example is Elon Musk. He may not necessarily be building the rockets himself, but he understands enough that he actually makes technical contributions. He understands the technology well enough that no one's going to snow him on it. And he's not running around making claims that he doesn't think he can eventually deliver. He may be optimistic in the timelines, but he thinks it's within reasonableness of delivery. Even Steve Jobs developed enough product skills and was involved enough in the product that he also operated in both of these domains. Larry Ellison started as a programmer and I think wrote the first version of Oracle or was actually heavily involved in it. Mark Andreessen was also in this domain. He may not have had enough confidence in the sales skills, but he was the programmer who wrote Netscape Navigator, a big chunk of it. So I think the real giants in any field are the people who can both build and sell.
1: Mark Baker, what do you think? Building and selling.
0: Yeah, I think we've said it before. Uh, one of the biggest things is being able to sell. Um, like the build thing is an obvious one. Probably more people. I don't know. I was going to say more people are builders than sellers. What would you say?
1: I think that a lot of people are kind of don't have either skill. They're they're on the sidelines a lot. They're they're working with something that someone has built, and they're. Um, they're not they're not they're not getting the rewards of being a salesperson either. Do you know? They're not yeah. They're not in between the product or service and the customer. So they're not getting the commission. That's what that's how sales works. You put yourself in between the end user and the servicer or uh, or product. That's all you have to do. I was on a, a call recently with a, a new salesperson in <clears throat> in work and I was trying to get that kind of concept across where it's not Forget like so. Sales skills is important, but just being the skill is getting yourself to a position where you are the gatekeeper to product or service. Eventually, people will need if there is a market for it; they will need that product or service. They'll come through you. You take your cut. That's what sales is. When people think Hmm. about sales, they think, "Oh, I've got to be really." I, really charismatic, I've got to be somebody, maybe who's he's a bit of an arsehole as well, um, a hard-nosed businessman. Um, I don't think I'm any of those things. Mm. You know? I think that I can, uh, figure out, uh, I can figure out angles that people can't see with business problems. So I can come up with mm. in- innovative solutions using, in my case, software to solve a business problem that sometimes the business people that I'm selling to didn't even see. That's where that's the that's what I'm doing. I'm not trying there's no do you know the always be closing manuals and stuff like that. I think that they're like I know no one likes being sold to
0: do you know it's very one dimensional to think like that do
1: you know it's so mm. in, in some ways if you are a builder, it kind of goes back to our first point about the the doing rather than watching. I think it's going to be like it's a difficult thing to go from a, a programmer who's built a good app to change your personality or change your your way of thinking to uh, uh, t- to become a salesperson and probably impossible to do it the other way,
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is interesting the way he said that a, s- a salesperson will find it more difficult to be a builder. So yeah. almost. I think he recommends not even bothering. <laughs> yeah, he actually
1: does. And later in the clip, he says, if you're yeah. a good salesperson, stick with that. If you're a builder, you can kind of learn yes. the sales piece. I think here, and I, I think he he comes across like he's disparaging uh, salespeople in that way but I don't think that he is I think that he's saying a lot of people who are world class at sales will sit down at a problem um, and they they say it, the mindset is kind of almost coin operated it's like well I could sit down here and build this or someone else can build it and I can give them the money for it I'll right. sell it why would I build it that's the yeah. that's, it mean kind of, that's the, the salesperson <laughs> mindset is like okay I need a product to sell. I don't have the product. I've got an idea. Who, Someone can build it. I'll go sell it.
0: You know? They obviously think their, their time is more valuable on the sales side because sales is so important. How many excellent products? And I've built products, whether, whether it be a website or whatever, and, and had it perfect. And, and then I was like, right, where's the customers? It's so hard to, to find customers, to get people to your product. And who does that? A salesperson. And sales is sales is just as broad a term as Business for that matter, yeah. Um, So I don't. Yeah, I would prefer to be a salesperson. I think I'm more of a uh, a builder who is kind of learning sales, and and I've definitely focused more on that when I'm trying to learn stuff. It's like how to sell more, and not in a salesy type of way. Obviously, it's a broad term. Um, But the obvious thing is, if you're going into business, I would recommend. If you are a salesperson, double down on that and find a builder.
1: Yeah, I think that's the, a li- kind of like a yeah. I,
0: I've never that. gone it on my own. Well, I have with with, with the art, and i I was definitely a builder with the art, a creator, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And just look, I've sold tons of paintings, but like the sales part, especially when it's your product, is actually quite hard to, to to sell you as a as a product. It's quite cringeworthy, almost. Yeah, it's I would I, I would just way more easily sell. A product than myself that way.
1: yeah because it, it's a if, it, if they scrutinize the product it doesn't you can't you can't take it personally like if it's like oh it's you're the you say you're an artist you know like i don't
0: like your painting yeah oh, my well, best.
1: <laughs> i'm doing my best here uh <laughs> okay so if you so just because like, we've both got kids now what would you prefer mm. your kids to be a builder or uh, a seller or mm. both they have time to do both which is a great thing
0: know? yeah that's a it's a good question obviously the answer is both yeah but i think that's just all consuming when you're trying to be both and i personally know that um so a seller i think um but no 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 no, no. i would actually say whatever matches the personality best
1: okay that's not... so
0: for 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 my nine-year-old i would say uh, probably a build uh, a builder um and uh the other one may be a builder as well. Actually, no, I don't think of it. So maybe there are two builders. <laughs>
1: couple, a couple, one, two builders out there in the Baker Hall. I think. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I know Shay's only five months old, but he's uh, he's buying and here. I think he's got the he's got <laughs> the, the smile stuff. anyway. He's got the smile. He's got the stuff. Um, he's going to be selling things. Um, so I think I I won't have a I, with the kids. I don't know if you have a choice anyway. Um, but my my point is for me, either don't be if you're trying to be both. Don't be a shitty both. Be one or the other. Do you, or I mean so I yeah. I'm not going to I don't know how to build software for example. Um so I could learn uh, computer science at night. I could be 5 mm. years down the road and I would be able to put together, you know, workable apps and connect to databases and you know build workflows with APIs, all that type of stuff. I would be able to do it. And that's the thing. Te- technology isn't actually that hard. Like it gets sim- more simple all that's the time.
0: That's a big statement.
1: Techno- technology <laughs> just isn't that hard I I actually I've got on rants I think on this podcast before about you know it's not like you can actually build a career in tech and not really be that good it, it's mm. a, a lot of the stuff is like uh like test engineering and stuff like that I mean it's very you could teach people how to do it and people do that's mm. what the these these companies do when you do computer science you go into the the company as X uh, position and they just teach you how to do that. Mm. Do you know what I mean it's not, you know? But I'm talking about those people who are uh, bringing ideas to life and fixing problems.
0: Do you know. Yeah. Uh, there's, look, there's a big debate as to should you focus on your weaknesses and try and prove them, or should you double down on your strengths? In my business, we we double down on our strengths uh, and you know tinker around with our weaknesses, but you know don't waste too much time on them.
1: I also think y- you either love. You love the the sales part, or it's it's hard to learn to love it. I think, like, I I, I there's lots of ups and downs when you're selling things. Uh, you mm-hmm. have like no one's on defense when you're trying to build something. That's what yes. I was think. And not having defense, no one's trying to stop you from building. You just spend all the time you want building a brilliant product, or you know. But the I quite like the the excitement of winning big deals we lost a huge deal last month it really stung but that's part of the game like you know
0: but that but also that's not to get too philosophical but that's life so there is other benefits by products of actually learning how to sell and being in sales sales even for a little bit of time you know
1: i think and in the long term when you're in the sales when you're selling something when you're S- selling is gonna like I said you're you're putting yourself in between the, the customer and the product um, in the long run you do very well yeah eventually you'll be talking to people who you can solve their problem they've got cash on the hip they don't want to negotiate they just want to take it and I think a lot of people who go into um, who aren't builders go into uh, tech sales and the first six months it doesn't go very well and they're like I can't do this for 20 years but if they mm. stayed for two years Every single month they'll hit the target. They're making two or three times more than they would have been in another area. Do you know the way you'd be rewarded? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Um, it's like strikers on in, in football. They get paid the most, I think. I don't know much about football. Is that yeah, true? No, they,
0: <laughs> they, I don't know, actually. Maybe they don't, <laughs> but I'd imagine they get paid better than the goalkeeper, put it that way.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. So here's an interesting one. So, so play long-term games. So this is something that... Um, Again, if you're younger, it's, it's an easier thing to do. But uh, even if you're older, I've, I've known people who kind of jump around from different jobs. I was that person for a long time um, and just leave just before I really the knowledge that they're gaining starts to actually be mm-hmm. valuable. You know, um, And let's have a look at this one here.
3: A little bit about what industries you should think about working in, what kind of job you should have and who you might want to work with. So you said one should pick an industry where you can play long-term games with
2: long-term people. Why? Yeah, this is an insight into what makes Silicon Valley work and what makes high-trust societies work. Essentially, all the benefits in life come from compound interests, whether it's in relationships or making money or in learning. So compound interest is a marvelous force where it's like, you know, you start out with 1x what you have, and then if you increase 20% a year for 30 years, it's not that you got 30 years times 20% added on, it was compounding. So it just grew and grew and grew until you suddenly got a massive amount of whatever it is, whether it's goodwill or love or relationships or money. So I think compound interest is a very important force. You have to be able to play a long-term game. And long-term games are good, not just for compound interest, they're also good for trust. If you look at prisoner's dilemma type games, the solution to prisoner's dilemma is tit for tat, which is I'm just gonna do to you what you did last time to me with some forgiveness in case there was a mistake made but that only works in an iterated prisoner's dilemma. In other words, if we play the game multiple times, so if you're in a situation, like for example, you're in Silicon Valley where people are doing business with each other and they know each other, they trust each other, then they do right by each other because they know this person will be around for the next game. Now, of course, that doesn't always work because you can make so much money in one move in Silicon Valley. Sometimes people betray each other because they're just like, I'm going to get rich enough of all this that I don't care. So there can be exceptions to all these circumstances. But essentially, if you want to be successful, you have to work with other people and you have to Figure out who can you trust and who can you trust over a long, long period of time that you can just keep playing the game with them so that compound interest and high trust will make it easier to play the game and will let you collect the major rewards, which are usually at the end of the cycle. So, for example, Warren Buffett has done really well as an investor in the U.S. stock market. But the biggest reason he could do that was because the U.S. stock market has been stable and around and didn't get, for example, seized by the government during a bad administration or the U.S. didn't plunge into some war. The underlying platform didn't get destroyed. So in his case, he was playing a long term game and the trust came from the U.S. stock market stability. In Silicon Valley, the trust comes from the network of people in the small geographic area that you figure out over time who you can work with and who you can't. If you keep switching locations, you keep switching groups, let's say you started out in the woodworking industry and you built up a network there and you're working hard and you're trying to build a product in the woodworking industry and then suddenly another industry comes along that's adjacent but different but you don't really know anybody in it and you want to dive in and make money there if you keep hopping from industry to no actually i need to open a line of electric car stations for electric car refueling That might make sense, it might be the best opportunity, but every time you reset, every time you wander out of where you built your network, you're gonna be starting from scratch, you're not gonna know who to trust, they're not gonna trust you. There are also industries in which people are transient by definition, they're always kind of coming in and going out. Politics is an example of that, right? In politics, new people are being elected. You see in politics that when you have a lot of old timers, like the Senate, people have been around for a long time and they've been career politicians, yeah, there's a lot of downside to career politicians like corruption, but an upside is they actually get deals done with each other because they know the other person is going to be in the same position 10 years from now and they're going to keep dealing with them. So they might as well learn how to cooperate. Whereas every time you get like a new incoming freshman class in the House of Representatives, which turns over every two years, the big wave election, nothing gets done because there's a lot of fighting. Because I just got here. I don't know you. I don't know if you're going to be around. Why should I work with you? rather than just trying to do whatever i think is right so it's important to pick an industry where you can play long-term games and with long-term people so those people have to signal that they're going to be around for a long time that they're ethical and their ethics are visible through their actions
3: in a long-term game it seems that everybody is making each other rich and in a short-term game it seems like everybody is making themselves rich
1: so mark baker so they mentioned a few times in that, um, the kind of game theory, the prisoner's dilemma, John Nash, all that type of stuff. Have you ever come across that type of uh,
0: no. literature? No, I haven't, actually.
1: So if anybody ever see the movie uh, Beautiful Mind by uh, with Russell Crowe? I haven't seen it. Ah, it's a great movie, Mark. That's here, the homework for the, for the long weekend here. It's really good. Um, so uh, John Nash, he was uh, a guy who uh, developed the the game game theory, it's called um game theory sounds great and when you're in college and you're going to do game theory and uh as a co- as a course you're like oh this is going to be great i'm going to be able to like outdo people outmaneuver people and stuff like that and there's a element of that uh, in the theory as well um but basically uh, john nash was a mathematician who I, I believe lost his mind in the end because was just very bright you know <laughs> um you know uh, he's part of the manhattan project um or not, not the Manhattan. I, d- I don't know if it was the Manhattan Project, which is the one where they're building the nuclear bomb. Um, I think he was involved uh, anyway in the nuclear planning for um, uh, for fighting Russia and during the Cold War. So, really, really interesting guy. Um, he came up with something called the prisoner's dilemma, right? Where the you, 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 and me have been arrested. I don't know if we've got time to go into this. this is, I think people enjoy this though, right? Me and you have been arrested. Okay, um, broad probably. Fraud phew, could be anything. <laughs> Jesus, there's a few. There's a few. I remember Matthew McConaughey says, "Don't leave crumbs." I've been fucking scoffing, uh, you know, cookies for a long time. <laughs> I wouldn't be hard to find, Mark. Right. Um, anyway, so me and you have been arrested. Fraud, embezzlement, something like that. Something white collar. Yeah. Um, and And uh, we've been put in a room, and they're interrogating us. Right. All right. And if so, here's the here's the outcomes. We both say nothing, right? We say we don't we, we you know don't uh, say he did it or I did it or whatever. Um, so we if we both say nothing, we get five years in prison because they're gonna they're just gonna say okay we don't know who did it so you're both guilty. Yeah. Okay. If you say that I did it, and I say that you did it, we get ten years. All right. So if we both screw each other over, we get ten years. Mm-hmm. If we both say that we didn't do it, I don't know. I'm having a little lost here.
0: The, no, we the, we already said that. that yeah. we, both of us remain silent. Yeah. We blame each other. Yeah. Or or we we admit. We uh we one of us yeah this is the third
1: bit uh, one of us doesn't admit to anything but the other mm-hmm. one blames us that uh, that person gets off and the person gets seven and a half years okay um so the when you do them so there's a the good thing about this kind of um, relationship is there's a mathematical equation to this game theory where there's a expected value outcome for all of the decisions so in game theory um like in theory um you'll be able to figure out exactly what you should do The decision making um, technique so you okay. figure out exactly what you should do based on the expected outcome based on the probability of what uh, what the outcomes might be so basically in the prisoner's dilemma and people have run with this idea because it uh, it kind of for a certain type of person it proves how people are mm. but the, the kind of punchline here is the best thing you can do is screw your friend okay because if you screw him and he screws you, you you both get X amount of years anyway. But if you don't screw him and he screws you, he gets off and you go to jail for a long time. And yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. trust him not to say anything. Yeah. Do you know? So yeah. the, that's the kind of the, the human punchline is that you're always better off screwing over somebody. That's what people say, but that's not actually what... <laughs> mm, that's not what it's... What about. you'd recommend? No, but I mean... <laughs> in this case um, and that, that's I wouldn't write you yeah, out just in just, case yeah.
0: okay, just to let you know I wouldn't say that well, they couldn't get I'm out saying anything I'm
1: saying that they couldn't get anything out. I don't out. know <laughs> we'll see but uh, the, the the thing is that's only the prisoner's dilemma only applies to uh, infinite or sorry finite games so if it's a once off it's you, you can expect people to screw you over Basically, so say if okay, it's yeah. a situation where there's going to be no comeback. Say yeah. if, say if you're on holiday. You know, I I've seen you guys. I, I, you came, You know, you're you're in Santa Panza again. Okay, <laughs> a favorite haunt of you guys, uh, right? And you're in Santa Panza and uh, a guy comes up to you and he's he's selling you a pair of Ray Bans.
0: Mm.
1: Okay, the likelihood is his after-sales service is not going to be great. You should yeah. expect that. You should expect to be screwed over because there's no comeback. There's no long term game yeah. here. Yeah. So it's something to keep in mind if you're going to make a decision and say, is this will this person benefit from a long term relationship with me or not? Yeah. And if it's not, you shouldn't you shouldn't take that option.
0: Yeah. Well, that's why in in recruitment, there's certain companies that don't do well because of how they treat people. They don't, they they try to put them into a the jo- job that isn't suitable for them you know, they, whatever they say to get them in. And we've never been like that. And that's not how I've learned, uh, you know, in recruitment. In the long term, you know, it's best for everybody to be honest all the time. Do your best for everybody. Take the hits when you could squeeze something in the door. Just take the hit and move on. And be confident in the fact that all the people that you dealt with in that situation will come back to you for further business. They'll come back to you When they're moving their job the next time, they'll recommend their friends to you. So long term, you know, it it works. To be honest, so that kind of that kind of proves that point. Whereas if you're never going to work with that person ever again, they despair off the face of the earth. Therefore, you could be tempted to just do that one transaction um, unethically or whatever it may be. And do you think that you'd be tempted if it was just once off? Um, Because it's a people thing. I don't. I don't. And the way I am, I don't think so. I don't think I could stomach that. Um, But if it was. Businesses, you know, business to business, is, I think is different. Um, yeah. You know.
1: It's an interesting one. Like, it's it's the, the infinite game. So basically, the I think feel like the advice here is to make sure that you're playing in a long-term game where, where we're going to be mm-hmm. making money together or we're going to be investing together or this is something that's going to be a
0: 10-year, 15-year play. So... <clears throat> Do you think me. if you're doing business in, in Dublin or a small... Town or, or a big town with a, a small feel to it. Do you think it's? I think it's always advisable to do the best thing and treat it long term, because everything is so connected.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: It'll come back to you. I I think that. I think maybe in a if you're doing business internationally from Dublin, you know, over the internet, never meeting anybody, it's different. Yeah, for sure. You know, especially, but a bad deal will come back to you. I think,
1: especially if you're not the the principal. So if it's if you're just an agent that like Paul uh, mm. talks about where you're just a, a worker you get a commission if they if they buy you don't care how they get on with that product mm. or service afterwards which is mm. the, the case when they're doing international sales a lot of the time mm. if I'm selling to somebody in Dubai I mean I care like I care that mm. it goes well and I don't want them to waste their money mm. and I've never there's been no deals you, could, you couldn't could find a deal that I've done where that was the case where it was uh, you know screw them over um, mm. but there is a, t- a temptation to say is this the best fit I mean they can't come and knock on my door. Yeah. What what are they going to do? They don't know who I am. I haven't, I haven't think. But I don't, as a
0: long-term play for, for an individual who wants to to go back to it, to get rich. I think those kind of one off transactional stuff will get you, might get you, you know, a decent amount of wealth, you know, but long-term you're not really building anything. Also, if it's all about compounding to get rich, to, to, to succeed, to build something really big, it's all about compounding. You have to be careful as to what asset you actually choose for that compound growth. Um, Say you go into a job, and he's saying stay long-term with long-term people. People, Like if you're in a job and you're saying, I'm going to stay here for life because I love all these people and they're great people, I'm going to build my career here. There's variables there. People will leave. The business could go bankrupt. So I don't think it'll... (laughs) doesn't apply to everything for sure do you know what i mean i've, I've been like situation
1: before like in canada uh one of my kind of mentors one day just said he was leaving and i was like it it may like it changed my plans because we i thought we we're gonna do this long-term thing then he goes to do yeah. something else so i think you're right it's there's a risk involved if you're if you're doing that and i think it it's more what he's talking about there is more akin to your business because it is a local thing mm. um and you know if 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 you're building someone you want to stay maybe maybe staying in the same industry rather I think it his point was more like I we all know people who are you know, this week that they're they're selling, they've got an online shoe business, next week it's uh Bitcoin IPS yeah, 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 yeah. next week, you know. Do you, do you I like think another? that's
0: okay. if if you if you've actually built a business and become an expert in something and are actually happy that you've achieved something big and you can move on. You see that all the time. Yeah. Look at look at Norman uh, Crowley. You know, he's he builds different businesses. Yeah. But he might doing, be adjacent in some way. But, but he's
1: doing remember it's kind of the same people involved. Remember you were saying that's kinda of
0: Yeah, so I'm saying that the asset if you're an employee, the asset isn't necessarily the job. The asset to you is actually the people, the mentor that you can get there. Well actually he could he or she could bring you with them to, to the next job, or, you know, in 10 years' time, when you want that job, so-and-so is actually the head of that. Now, because I had such a great relationship with that person, there's my, there's the thing that I can, you know, leverage. um, Or it might be the skill set or whatever, but I don't necessarily think the asset is the job, if that makes sense. I don't know. I know what you're
1: trying <laughs> to say, though. I, I think, yeah, it, like, it you could be... Uh, you almost fool yourself into non-action going, oh, I'm playing the game. I'm, I'm getting rich like this because I'm staying where, I, where I'm at. But I don't think that's what he's, he's trying to say. Make sure where you're staying is something that's going to make you rich in the long term.
0: Yeah, well, you could be a, a financial accountant in a company and th- there might be no progression. And you say, no, 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 I'm sticking to it. This is the asset that I've chose The <laughs> yeah. compound yeah. every year. You know, I'm yeah. a year more experienced but you're actually you're more experienced if if it's one of those jobs you you might be you're more experienced in the same thing repetitively over and over again you're actually going that's actually not going anywhere so you might need to actually go to the next job the next company to get a new set of skill sets to compound to the current skill set that you've been doing for the last two years
1: yeah I like it so keep the, the long term focus which is I think that's the kind of takeaway there if I was you know giving advice to my little boy I would say it would be great if you were the master of uh, uh, I don't know solid work projects like you're the guy you've done you've built <laughs> businesses there you're in
0: it, I don't know do you know what I mean like, I know I, uh, I think good assets to think about uh, like the compound on our skill sets and people
1: yeah Here, here's actually a good good example of, of, of the skill set uh, that you mentioned there the guy who's the CEO of the company I worked for in Canada um, mm. he started a, a business uh doing a payment software sold that on ipo started another s- payment software that was kind of more kind of a uh, better user experience kind of for the mid-market sold that then he started a bitcoin exchange with the same type of principles that you can buy and sell things mm. through kind of payment software so he's kind of compounding that for the long term it's not exactly the same market yeah you know, but
0: They're it's slightly a it- slightly adjacent um it's like me with as a qualified accountant in finance you know it it wasn't for me long term i didn't think i was going to be the best accountant in the world so i pivoted slightly into finance recruitment that's so that's a perfect example so i'm still staying in the game still all the same people involved yeah um
1: but it's, it's a completely different business. It must be such an asset when they when they talk, talk to you and the things that you're a recruiter by trade, and then you're like, uh, you know, uh, I used to work in Deloitte as well. I know how you feel. I think that that just takes a weight off the shoulders. I'd say.
0: I know. It yeah, but well, that's how I felt when I was looking for a job. I trusted people who were professionals and who had been there and done it. Who weren't just telling me what it was like because yeah. I met people who told me what it, what it was like, and they hadn't got a clue because. I was an accountant you know I got a couple of recruiter
1: emails this uh, this week and it's just so far off what I'm uh, like it's evident from the first time that they don't really know what I do for a living yeah
0: look there's different ways of doing selling things you know Um, spray and pray you know become an expert advise you know there's different ways
3: Let's, uh, let's keep this ball rolling we are getting rich here today on the shark pod which I thought was pretty interesting and I think you have your own on it So the first tweet on accountability.
1: I love this one, accountability and leverage. This one's great.
3: ...was embrace accountability and take business risks under your own name. Society will reward you with responsibility, equity, and leverage.
2: Yeah, so to get rich, you know, you're going to need leverage. We could stop it right there. There's a lot more to listen
1: to, but that's the key takeaway today. If you can do stuff under your own name, that is the most important thing. Like so many, how Mm. hard is that? And how many people say, you know, oh, I'd, love, I'd love to join a startup. I don't want it under my own name. you know? I'd love to, because when you put yourself out there, so, but society is going to reward you with more stuff. And wh- what a lesson to tell children. Mm. Society well, it's, don't. I've, don't ex-
0: I've experienced it. And it's 100% true. There's no doubt about it. The, the flip side to that, if that is true, okay, well, everybody will do it. But they don't. So why don't they? It's because of the the flip side, which is society will crush you if you get it wrong, if you fail. But they don't because we're not cave people anymore. You won't get kicked out of the tribe for doing something silly. You don't go to debtor's
2: prison anymore. You know? So it's, Let's let's see what he says. And leverage comes in labor, comes in capital, or it can come through code or media. But most of these, like labor and capital, people have to give to you. For labor, somebody has to follow you. For capital, somebody has to give you money or assets to manage or machines. So to get these things, you have to build up credibility, and you have to do those under your own name as much as possible, which is risky. So accountability is a double-edged thing. It allows you to take credit when things go well and to bear the brunt of the failure when things go badly. So in that sense, you know, people who are stamping their names on things aren't foolish, they're just confident. Maybe it turns out to be foolish in the end, but if you look at a Kanye or an Oprah or a Trump or an Elon or anyone like that, these people can get rich just off their name because their name is such powerful branding. You know, Regardless of what you think of Trump, you have to realize that the guy was among the best in the world at just branding his name. Why would you go to Trump Casino? It used to be because Trump. Why would you go to Trump Tower because of Trump? When it came time to vote, I think there that a lot of voters who just went in and said, Trump, they recognize the name. So the name recognition paid off. Same thing with Oprah. She puts her brand on something, her name on something, and it flies off the shelves and it's like instant validator. But these people also take risks for putting their name out there. Obviously, Trump is now probably hated by half or more than half of the country and by a big chunk of the world because he sticks his name out there. By putting your name out there you become a celebrity and fame has many many downsides it's better to be anonymous and rich than to be poor and famous but even famous and rich has a lot of downsides associated with it you're always in the public eye so accountability is quite important when you're working to build a product or you're working in a team or you're working in a business we are constantly drummed into our heads how important it is to be part of a team and absolutely agree with that a lot of our training socially is telling us to not stick our necks out of the crowd. There's a saying that I hear from Australian friends that like the tall poppy gets cut, right? Don't stick your neck out. But I would say that actually a really, really well-functioning team is small and has clear accountability for each of the different portions. Like, so you can say, okay, this person is responsible for building the product. This person is responsible for the messaging. This person is responsible for raising money. This person is responsible for the pricing strategy and, and maybe the online advertising. So if somebody screws up, you know exactly who's responsible while at the same time something goes really well, you also know exactly who's responsible. So if you have a small team and you have clearly delineated responsibilities, then you can still keep a very high level of accountability. And accountability is really important because when something succeeds or fails, if it fails, everybody points fingers at each other. And if it succeeds, everybody steps forward to take credit. And we've all had that experience when we were in school and we got like a group assignment to do. And there were people in there, there were probably a few people in there who did a lot of the work. And then there were a few people who just did a lot of grandstanding or positioning to do the work. So we're all familiar with this from a childhood sense, but it's sort of uncomfortable to talk about. But clear accountability is important. Without accountability, you don't have incentives. Without accountability, you can't build credibility, but you take risk. So you take risk of failure, you take risk of humiliation, you take risk of failure under your own name, which, you know, luckily in modern society, there's no more debtors prison. And people don't go to jail or get executed for losing other people's money, but we're still socially hardwired to not fail in public under our own names.
1: It's such an insightful thing. I think, like again, raising kids—if you can th- give them one thing, say, whatever you do, it, if you're doing something o- under your own name, you—it just—it's just so such more so more more impressive than if you're part of a team. Do you know, it's mm. always the like even. I don't know, like, people who do really well on teams in, you know, it's an if you're anonymous doing well, you might, like, it's very it's very difficult to be rich and anonymous. Unless you live in Greystones, I don't know what these people are doing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> who are it's these people Hardin's. in these mansions? Like, what do they do for a living?
1: <laughs> I'm so interested. I walk around uh, some of the really big houses in Greystones here, I'm like, what what is what's their game? You know.
0: Yeah. Um, but even if you did inherit it, like, how are you upkeeping?
1: Yeah, exactly. How did you not mess this up? Okay. So, what do you, what do you think about that accountability? Should that be something that should be on the um, on the the map for somebody leaving school? Say, like, how can you get a job that you're accountable for the outcome? You know, like, are you just gonna? Yeah. What do you undo?
0: I think you, you can. You don't just have to be. It doesn't just apply to kind of entrepreneurs and building businesses. I think if you want to succeed in within a business as an employee, you know you, you have to be accountable. You know, put your name forward for things that might seem a little bit or a project that's a bit risky. You know, I'm sure you've experienced stuff like that before. It'll pay off. You learn. You learn so much from it, and people will trust you. People like people who who aren't afraid to take risks. I think.
1: I think that as well. I think they. It's, it's, because it's
0: so hard to do I think they think Jesus that person must know what they're doing whereas <laughs> <laughs> they it just might be you know blind ambition
1: yeah I, you don't want to be like uh, Bart Simpson when he's when he thinks he's the smart one then and he keeps on putting up his hand
0: and then they're like yeah. you haven't got
1: one right all day <laughs> <laughs> sit down
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah so, so sure. we well, put the work in but, if, but so many people put the work in and don't put their hand up for things you know so if you're yeah. going to do all the work be confident yeah. take a few risks take a small risk just ease yourself into it maybe um but, but yeah accountability is but if the it pays off it definitely pays off
1: it's kind of like if you but if, if we're talking about getting rich the best way to get rich there he was talking about leverage and he was talking about like th- the leverage part for me is the most important part the accountability is, is fine but the uh, at the trying to figure out a way of like, the one to many approach rather than one to one i think if you are going to take on a project and work or something like that it can be a bit one to one. You you've put in X amount, you get X amount out because you're the one doing it. But if you have mm. your own business and you can hire a sales team, now you've got leverage. You've instead mm. of making a f- hundred calls a day, you can make a thousand calls a day if you have ten salespeople.
0: Mm. Do you know what can I? Um so I think I'm putting your, like you mentioned the likes of Donald Trump, Oprah, w- when it comes to kind of doing stuff in your own name. The fact is people will hate you. There is people who hate we you know half America hated Donald Trump. Um, you know, there's people who don't like Oprah. Uh, 100%. You know? So you can't try to please everybody if you want to make, if you want to stand out. It's impossible. Who 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 is just, everybody thinks is great, you know? So you have to be able to take the hits as well if you're going to put, put your hand up for things. And then there's becoming an expert in, in your industry and being well-known and then there's also having that and, and being stuff gravitate towards you because of that, because you're putting yourself out there, but also online. There's like the online presence as well. So you could be, nobody could, there's people that we'd never heard of who are so rich within their industry and they're not famous. I would rather be that person than the person with, you know, a million followers on on Instagram, but doesn't really have a solid business. It is. But Obviously you want both, but if you're to choose which one do you put more time into, it'd be the one within the industry, which one is more valuable. I think is, is the one within your own industry and not, you know, known by everybody.
1: I think I think you're right, but I also think that if you've taken accountability under your own name enough, you yeah. get to a place where you can't lose. I'll give you an example. Who do you think about when you think about an um, uh, uh, Irish uh, property de- developer? Johnny Ronan? Of course. That's exactly mm. what I was thinking of. He, mm. His his name is on all of the the biggest buildings that are going up um, mm. around Dublin today. Salesforce Tower, all that type of stuff. He's always in the paper trying to build the biggest thing, even mm. though he may not. That might be a PR stunt, in my opinion. To say it might not be, he might actually be trying to build those things. But gets him in the paper saying that he's trying mm-hmm. to develop the the uh, the city, all that type of stuff. Mm. Now he 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 had a lot of. I don't know too much about him, but I know they had a lot of trouble with Nam and all that type of stuff during the the crash. All that. Stuff and he was kind of broke again, um, but now he's back building the biggest projects. Um, he, I believe, he raised some money from pension funds in America or something like that. Again, I don't know too much of the details. But when they look him up, they like he's the guy that's trying to build the biggest buildings in Dublin. You know, mm. he has that type of accountability. He, every time you go into town, you see his last name and all these giant projects. I think mm. that if he goes bust again, he'll get money again. He's, who else are you going to invest in? He's obviously you know yeah. someone or you could, if you don't fail that big under your own name if it's under a, a company name or something that you own it's mm. kind of like a little bit more opaque um i don't think you have that bounce back ability there's loads of i think there's mm. a, a good few people like that with that have put their the you know the name on it and you know i think that's a it's something that's undertaught in in work and undertaught in in schools where make sure that you get the credit <laughs> even for yeah. failing
0: <laughs> like, yeah i i do think people uh, just when it comes to social media though i think people may think your name on in social media is is actually worth more than it than it is to have yeah. a, a lot of followers you think you might be rich because of that it's not the same as, as what you're you're saying with him yeah i don't mean
1: like that's
0: like that's but the, the fact is opportunities like i have a okay, following on, on the likes of Instagram, opportunities have come my way because because the name is out there and it's doing the work for you. Yeah. And exactly. if somebody's looking for something, they'll find me. And yeah. I
1: think Owen O'Connor has a little bit of that. A lot of yeah. people I talked to about that conversation that we had. Everyone kind of knew the name. Mm. I know, I saw stuff like uh, in the Kilkenny shops and do you know, I feel like he's got a little bit of that.
0: You know? Yeah. I think there are some people who just want to have a big following on social media because it feeds your ego, and they could be, <laughs> they could give or take actually making a lot of money <laughs> off it. Whereas I think a lot of people, me included, would prefer not to be on social media and have that distraction, and actually ha- still have the name, if, if that makes sense.
1: One hundred percent. Um, I just got to just remind remind me there of uh, Owen when he was talking about how he's a villain uh filling postal vans with orders i don't know i just love that image i love okay Okay. Right. so here here we go so this one is actually about leverage i skipped ahead a little bit um leverage is going to be the thing that's going to make you rich here we go
3: bridge do you think a choice of business model or a choice of product can also bring a kind of leverage to it for example pursuing a business that has network effects pursuing a business that has brand effects or other choices of business model that people could manipulate
1: so for those listeners out there that aren't in technology, network effects, are you, does that ring a bell, Mark?
3: Um, is,
0: is it like Facebook and stuff?
1: Um, so yeah, it is kind of like Facebook. So the the more, uh, like the, the, the value of the business is the amount of nodes in the business, the amount of users. So, every, so uh, project management tools are a good uh, thing of that. The more people who use the tool, the more people that need to use the tool. Like you yeah. have to be on LinkedIn. That's a great network effect. You have to be. That's everyone because the more people that are on it, the more people that are have to be on it. So yeah. So when he's talking about business effects, uh, or when he's talking about um, network effects in like tech startups, that's what people are kind of looking for when they're doing investments. So, so just, it grows.
0: It grows like a root or a, a tree.
1: Yeah, it, it grows. So it's kind of undeniable. Like you have to, even if people don't like. Um, LinkedIn they kind of still have to be on it (laughs) True, that's a great business model because
0: yeah it's risky in that though if people stop using it at the early stage like a few of those social medias that had promised at the start and yeah remember there's one Joe Rogan was using can't remember the name of it a lot of people got on and it just stopped growing and then it has to it has to reach a point where it just becomes then uncontrollable
1: exactly and that's the that's the biggest um, that's the biggest hurdle and that's why it's so hard Mm. to do it's it's the hardest company to start, one that's based on network effects.
2: ...that just give you free leverage. Yeah, there's some really good microeconomic concepts that are important to understand. One of those is scale economies, which is the more you produce something, the cheaper it gets to make But That's something that a lot of businesses have, basic economics 101, and you should try and get into a business where making widget number 12 is cheaper than making widget number five and making widget number 10,000 is a lot cheaper than the previous ones. And this builds up an automatic sort of barrier to entry against competition and getting commoditized. So that's an important one. Another one, this is along the same lines, but technology products, especially, and media products have this great quality where they have zero marginal cost of reproduction. So creating another copy of what you just created is free. So when somebody listens to this podcast or watches a YouTube video about this, it doesn't cost me anything for the next person who shows up. Those zero marginal cost things, they take a while to get going because you make very little money per user. But over time, they can really, really add up. So Joe Rogan is working no harder on his current podcast than he was on podcast number one. But on podcast number 1100, he's making a million dollars for the podcast, whereas for the previous one, he probably lost money the first one that's an example of zero marginal cost and then the most subtle but the most important is this idea of network effects and it comes from computer networking bob metcalf who created ethernet famously coined metcalf's law which is the value of a network is proportional to the square of the number of nodes in the network so if a network of size 10 would have a value of 100 network of a size hundred would have a value of ten thousand. It's not just ten X more, it's hundred X more because it's a square. So the difference is in the square. So you want to be in a network effect business, assuming you're not number two. If you're number one in a network effect business, you win everything. So example, if you look at Facebook, right, your friends and family social networking protocol, who's their competitor? Nobody, because they want everything through network effects, which is why when people say, well, I can just switch away from Facebook, they don't realize that network effects create natural monopolies. They're very, very powerful things. And one of the dirty secrets of Silicon Valley is that a lot of the winning businesses are natural monopolies. Even ride sharing tends towards one winner-take-all system. Like Uber will always have better economics than Lyft, as long as it's moving more drivers and more riders around. Something like Google, there's basically only one viable search engine. I do like DuckDuckGo. You know privacy reasons but they're just always going to be behind because of network effects twitter right where else would you go for microblogging even youtube has weak network effects but they're still powerful enough there's really no number two site that you go to to consume your video on a regular basis it even turns out in e-tail amazon prime and convenience stored credit cards and information creates a powerful network effect so what is a network effect let's just define it precisely a network effect is when each additional user adds value to the existing user base so your users themselves are creating some value for the existing users the classic example that i think everybody can understand is language let's say that there's 100 people who live in the community and speak 10 different languages and each person just speaks one of those 10. well you're having to translate all the time it's incredibly painful but if all 100 of you spoke the same language it would add tremendous value and so the way that community will play out is 10 people start out speaking 10 languages. So let's say that one extra person learns English. Well, now all of a sudden, 11 people know English. So the next person comes in to learn a new language, probably gonna choose English. At some point, let's say English gets to 20 or 25 people, it's done. It's just gonna own the entire language marketplace and the rest of the languages will get competed out, which is why long-term, the entire world is probably gonna end up speaking English and Chinese. China is closed off on the internet, but the internet itself is a great leveler and people who wanna communicate on the internet are forced to speak English because the largest community of people on the internet speaks English. I always feel bad for my colleagues who grew up speaking foreign languages in foreign countries because you don't have access to so many books So many books just haven't been translated into other languages. So if you only spoke French or you only spoke German or you only spoke Hindi, for example, you would be at a severe disadvantage in a technical education. Invariably, if you go and get a technical education, you have to learn English just because you have to read these books that have this data that has not been translated. So languages are probably the oldest example of a network effect. Money is another example. We should all probably be using the same money, except for the fact that geographic and regulatory boundaries have created these artificial islands of money. But even then the world tends to use a single currency as the reserve currency at most times, currently the US dollar. So network effects are a very powerful concept. When you're picking a business model, it's really good idea to pick a model where you can benefit from network effects, low marginal costs and scale economies, and these tend to go together like anything that has zero marginal cost of production obviously has scale economies and things that have zero
1: so mark he covered a lot there okay, and there was a lot of stuff there around network effects and I think a lot of people that are listening to this and they're trying to get rich they're trying to they they may not have a technical background or they may think that okay, I'm not going to start Facebook and stuff like that and that's always something that annoys me as well with those types of um you know those books on, uh, you know Zuckerberg and stuff. I don't. Uh, you know the, the likelihood of you becoming that and getting rich that way is is low. But I think that mm. there's by by implementing some of the stuff that he talked about there in the planning phase of starting a business. Um, if you're looking for a business with uh, zero marginal costs or very close to zero marginal costs of a, of someone else buying your product, I think that could be a really good place to start when you're building your business. So, if you're like and. There's loads of businesses out there now because of the internet so say if you uh, wanted to start a a uh, an online course a very niche course around you know something that people really need to learn every mm. time someone buys that course from you it doesn't cost you anything else that yeah. is that is a beautiful business um every time yeah.
0: it's almost the opposite to to when I was selling original paintings exactly all that. All those hours into the one painting, sold, gone forever. Yeah. <laughs> start, start again.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the yeah.
0: marginal cost for
1: you, in hours terms, was, was quite high in that case. Mm. Um, the some of the efficiencies that they're, that he's talking about there, uh, if you're thinking about starting a business or if you're kind of going to build a me too business, um, afterwards, like some of that's already been uh, in place, but we're going to put a new spin on it. Having a a low marginal cost is something that wasn't possible a hundred years ago um, because mm. there was too many uh, kind of monopolies they had the economies of scale where if they build a million widgets they do it for a penny each but you can't compete because you make 10 and there are 10 in each
0: do you know? yeah it must be so hard to build a company like that though like you think, you think about music for example that's probably an example selling an album yeah like it doesn't matter how many people extra people buy the album so all the work has gone into it but look Spotify came in because yeah because of the nature of it Like,
1: but in that case instead of thinking about you having to build a, a business yourself in that case if you've have, if you have some sort of intellectual property that's worth something you can think about the using the, the network effect uh, in a franchising or a uh not publishing, what would you call it? Like um, licensing. So say if you've got mm. a really good idea and it works well and that type of thing, you license it to um, mm. wh- whoever in different countries. Um, some people have even done this with, with things that are as kind of flimsy as um, like a like coaching protocol. Not flimsy is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like not like a hard product, like the way of... Uh, here's an example. Like Bikram Yoga. That guy tried to... Uh, he's not a great he's not a great uh, I don't know
2: why I brought up Bikram
1: stay away from Bikram okay the, uh, people who develop like yoga programs and then mm. it, you do their type of yoga uh, mm. so obviously every time that they they can only do one class at a time and they can only fit a hundred people in their room so they can only make a thousand euro uh, a go or whatever but if mm-hmm. they license that uh, intellectual property the it's kind of endless and they get that that network effect that way so it's not just for mm um social media people
0: people being taught then can teach themselves can teach others you know themselves and then you can set up like an
1: eventually you can set up like an eight-week uh yoga teacher course in a hotel in beverly hills and you know Mm. like Bikram did and then they they all go out and uh make money for you so the kind of one-to-many thing doesn't have to be just technology um and Mm. i think that you could play you have to
0: use no, you don't have to use technology for that. Actually,
1: well, it helps, but mm. I think that if you sat down with somebody who is starting a business or six months or a year into a business, and they're saying things are going well, but I don't see how I'm going to get rich here, mm. I think that I think that happens a lot. With the, if we've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on this um, on this uh, podcast as well, and sometimes that's that's happened where they say, you know, maybe not on air, but they might say like, like I don't know how I'm going to sell this, or if I sell this it's not like I'm the one that's doing everything. What am I selling? Do you know? Mm. Um,
0: so when you have people... It has like, to be... Scal- like if you want to be rich, basically, it kind of has... The products or the service has to be scalable.
1: Yeah. And random stuff can be sellable, uh, scalable. Like um, mm-hmm. the... I forget the name of the company now, but there's a huge company in America um, for taking away people's rubbish. And it's a franchisee thing. And it's everywhere. All over Canada, all over America. And the guys are making whatever, 100 million a year from just collecting rubbish and putting a sign on the vans but basically like you know um, how do we
0: put Ballybrack waste on, uh, on steroids the- <laughs>
1: yeah, get- I see those guys everywhere let's get them on the podcast see what we can do uh, yeah. but yeah so something to think about when when, uh, when baby Shea grows up and he's starting a bi- his own business under his own name all that good stuff all the accountability I mm. was saying what's the make sure that when we start this there's leverage um, a good example is uh, Stephen from the uh, the happy pair that we had on like mm-hmm. that's one shop well it's not one shop anymore, but it was one shop here in Greystone's, and they have used they've leveraged technology and social media, so people are getting the message out there all the time they've leveraged um sainsbury's in the in the u k to distribute their their stuff way way beyond just a shop. In mm.
0: greystone a of way, so but in a weird way, they they keep the small feel and have all the arms coming out of it as well, all the branches. But yet they still do the the swims, the local swims, and
1: there. So really,
0: that's that's it's the ideal situation then, I think. If exactly. if that's the way, that kind of person that you are.
1: But um, okay, so that was that was the second last. One. Let's wrap up on this last one here. Uh, yep. But I think that people who listen to this that are like this isn't this isn't kind of get rich quick schemes but they're kind of more foundations about um you know if you're going to get rich and we never really define that uh properly at the beginning but uh whatever rich means to you i think that this is uh this is a good one to end on
3: you should avoid other than renting up a-
2: yeah there are two tweets that i put out that are related so the first one was talking about we were talking about like how your lifestyle you know has to upgrade shouldn't get upgraded too fast and that one basically said People who are living far below their means enjoy a freedom that people busy upgrading their lifestyles just can't fathom. And I think that's very important, like just to not upgrade your lifestyle all the time to maintain your freedom. And it just gives you a freedom of operation. You basically, once you make a little bit of money, you still want to be living like your old self so that just the worry goes away. So don't run out to upgrade that house and lifestyle and all that stuff. Let's say you're going to a $1,000 an hour. The problem is that when you go into a work lifestyle like that, you don't just suddenly go from making $20 an hour to making $1,000 an hour. That's a progression over a long career. And as that happens, one subtle problem is that you upgrade your lifestyle as you make more and more money. And that upgrading of the lifestyle kind of ups what you consider to be wealth, and you stay in this wage slave trap. So I forget who said it, maybe it was Nassim Taleb, but he said, you know, the most dangerous things are heroin and a monthly salary, right? Because they're highly addictive the way you want to get wealthy is you want to be poor and working and working and working and this is for example how the tech industry works where you don't make any money for 10 years and then suddenly in year 11 you might have a giant payday which is what by the way one reason why these very high marginal tax rates for the so-called wealthy are flawed because the highest risk-taking most creative professions you literally lose money for a decade of your life while you take massive risk and you bleed and bleed and bleed and then suddenly in year 11 or year 15 you might have one single big payday but then of course uncle sam show up and basically say hey you know what you just made a lot of money this year therefore you're rich therefore you're evil and you got to hand it all over to us
1: so that that's that's the last one we're going to have a chat about today but it's i think it's a really good one if people are kind of in any industry if you're living below your means the only time I've ever really been stressed out is when I was maybe overstretched financially. Do you like mm-hmm. um, And if you're building a business, if you're trying to get rich one day, uh, spending the money now that you have instead of plowing it back into the business or whatever I think is the is a really good takeaway. Uh, something that he said at the end there really reminded me of uh, our friend Mark Flood who was on the, the podcast ages ago. That was probably about a year ago. Um, mm. So for those of you who haven't listened to that one yet, it's... Uh, really interesting one It's all about private equity um, and how he's kind of targeting kind of SMEs in Ireland for that and he was talking about how Ireland punished those uh, those entrepreneurs who have been bleeding for 10 years mm. not making any money like foregoing salaries that they could have got in the private sector Um for or sorry yeah the private sector for you know 10 years and then they get one payday and we hit them with as much tax as we can on that so Mm. the incentive the incentive you are incentivized in ireland to not take risks you're incentivized in ireland not to try to go for big wins you're incentivized Mm. to stay lower middle class maybe because in the middle class you get taxed so much anyway Mm. or you know we even go so far in Ireland to means test people for things that they need from the government when they need it. So if you like the people who are contributing the most to the pot, get the least out, you Mm. know, and it just makes people go, well, I could spend 10 years building something and have a big payday. um, Or I could just, you know, get a job in the council.
0: Yeah. So that 10 years of struggle you know unlike a business like you can't as a person you can't offset the losses or the potential losses that you you made during those years yeah against the big windfall that comes the opportunity cost, you, can't,
1: you can't put your opportunity cost well like we would have made this that's kind of a mm. hundred grand do i years. don't
0: know if other countries do that though do they no
1: but i think that a lot of other countries have a very low um uh not very low but like a considerably lower capital gains i think capital gains yeah. should be this is... Yeah, that's going to be controversial, Mark. I, I think it should be I zero. Think the, I think it should be b- minus five. They pay you to take risks
0: because that's the only time. <laughs> well, I think it would it would certainly, uh, uh, you know, it would increase... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, speculation. Innovation.
1: Innovation, yeah. Maybe yeah it really would, yeah. yeah. Like, it would just in- incentivize people to... Like I, I think anything that you make from that's not labor should be tax-free because that's how you get that's how you're going to get off the the government teat Mm. that's how you become independent Mm. if you have assets that are producing for you so okay fair enough charge me for for working because you you guys are setting up the system for that but you guys didn't do anything for for me to take a long position on euro dollar you guys didn't do anything for that you don't get anything (laughs) Do you know, I took the risk. If I so if I lost, so I go to you guys and say we'll go halves on that. Do they <laughs> they would be like, "Well, that'd I be lo- nice." Yeah, but I lost all the money. But you were going to tax me if I won." I so, you know, "You fucking keep your own losses. We'll come in with, when the when the win comes in, then we'll take half." Yeah. Do you know, it's like a vindictive uh a vindictive uh wife from an Eddie Murphy sketch. <laughs> Taking half. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. All right. So um what I was saying. okay so let's wrap it up there today I think this is going to be like I love doing these these kind of one on ones with, uh, with Mark sometimes as well to have a chat about how business is going Um, kind of getting rich as I get older getting rich to me means like I said at the beginning just having enough assets where you don't have to worry I think worry is the biggest thing to avoid once you're not worried about money you're kind of rich
0: yeah money can can certainly alleviate worries and and pain and stuff like that, but then there is diminishing returns after a certain amount. We all know it doesn't make you happier having, you know, three million as opposed to two and a half, that type of thing.
1: What's the number mark? What do you what do you I
0: told you it's ten. Ten. Ten million.
1: <laughs> after just saying the three million is not yeah. gonna make me any more happy. So ten million I don't I you don't answer my no, anymore. I don't know. You don't, I don't show up to these podcasts. You're gone. huh. You don't at uh, ten million you don't show up to the podcast anymore. That's all over.
0: 10 million, that's all I do, dude.
1: Yeah, that's all <laughs> I do. Just 24 hour in day in the life, become a real like a uh, narcissist. Be like, <laughs> think that everything <laughs> that we do is really interesting. And like, you know,
0: yeah, I'm um, gonna pay for you know, five million followers on Instagram. Do
1: you know that guy? Uh, I forget his name now. the guy that has um, the oh my god, the, the fantasy factory guy. No. Uh, oh my god, I'm gonna send you if anyone you guys listening you're shouting at your, your your podcast right now um, Dirk something
0: okay anyway, what's the gist
1: so basically he was a he, he really successful guy he was like a skateboarder and then he okay. did, had an MTV show for 10 years called It's fantasy factory where he just did okay. crazy stuff with money like he'd build like he'd have like a warehouse and they'd do something crazy that
0: they mean, do that on like, YouTube that's a big thing on YouTube at the moment yeah
1: kind of like the, the Mr. Yeah. Beast thing just doing crazy yeah. stuff, like one I'll, day
0: to spend a million, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing.
1: I'll click on that <laughs> <laughs> as I as I just watch the watch the, the person throwing around a million while I am shoving like a uh, fruit and fiber into my mouth, just like like a. <laughs> it's like, a zombie. <laughs> sometimes I think about that. I watch YouTube so much, like I have it on the background sometimes when I'm working. I'm just thinking, I wonder if there was a camera on me watching this. Would that just be just this slob staring like a zombie into this? You know? so Depends it's, what you're uh, watching. Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, food for thought out there. But okay, so I would, I'm going to take this, uh, the podcast, this this one particularly, there's going to be, out of the 70 or so podcasts that we've done, there's going to be probably five or six that I'm going to earmark for, uh, for my son to listen to years from now.
0: And say, yeah, keep at the annoyed. core, at the core of it, this is what why we kind of did the, the podcast. We were having these chats anyway, so this is the chats. Yeah. You know, probably less uh, expletives and rants that there would be in the real chat. Even though one kind of comes, yeah, <laughs> you not cut them out, no, no, we we don't cut things out
1: here. <laughs> um, okay, okay, cool. So why don't we wrap it up today? Uh, next week we've got a couple of more uh, guests lined up. It's going to be great. We're getting some momentum going into Q two, Q four three q4 and we're coming up on a big uh, milestone from downloads um so thank you so much for all the people that are listening to this every week and we're going to make sure that we keep on keeping on um we're going to go to a hundred anyway and we're going to see where we're going to go from there um but we're working on a few kind of projects to maybe take this to the next level so uh until next week keep moving forward